0: Welcome back to episode 126 of the Blockrunner Podcast. Here is where we discuss the latest developments in cryptocurrency while we make this new technology relatable to you. You can watch this podcast on our YouTube channel to follow along with our discussion. As always, I'm your host, William, talking with your co-host, Iman, and today we bring in a special guest co-founder of Beanstalk Farms to talk to us about algorithmic staple coins. Here are some of the topics we discuss today. First up, Publius goes over the landscape of stable coins and their true value of powering humanity's innovation. Next, Publius explains who he is and what is Beanstalk. Then we ask if Publius has interest in the metaverse and its future. And finally, we dive into on-chain governance and how that will lead to a better Web3 economy. All right, let's listen in. Welcome back to episode 125 of the Blockrunner podcast. I'm your host, William, always here with your co-host, iMan. Going on, man. All right, we got a new special guest here with us. He is one of the three, one of three co-founders of Beanstalk. His name is Publius. Welcome, P- Publius.
1: Well, I'm one third of Publius, but yes, correct. Uh, w- pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, appreciate it.
2: Yeah, Publius. <clears throat> I guess you were kind of uh... a. <clears throat> Making it synonymous to like the maybe the term anonymous, but it's like a, a term for an organization, right? Or does yeah. Publius have like an actual definitive definition? Like it's a three pronged crew, like or is that just like a name you guys came up with for yourselves as founders or of the project? So
1: originally, when we deployed Beanstalk, we were totally anonymous, yep, yep, and so nobody knew. Whether there was one of us, whether there was ten of us, yeah. uh, Beanstalk was simply deployed by Publius. Now, after the exploit in April, uh, everyone thought that Publius exploited Beanstalk. Right. We were mm. really committed to the anonymity, so mm. uh, or the pseudon. We were anonymous, but we were going under the pseudonym of Publius. Mm-hmm. And so we we ultimately, in order to keep working on Beanstalk, we decided to dox ourselves. And so now people know that there are three of us, but we still go by Publius and, uh, or at least when we're dealing with Beanstalk. Uh, and in particular, the reason why we do that is uh, the goal is at some point to have Beanstock not be reliant or dependent on in any way being, uh, Publius. And we feel like if we start to participate in... In the capacity that we currently do as individuals that will make uh retiring Publius or killing Publius, if you want to be less uh yeah. ceremonious about it <laughs> uh you know, less peaceful about it uh whenever that's going to happen it's going to be a lot harder to do that if we've been interacting uh with beanstalk and the community as our our individual selves so we've continued despite being docs and people now know who we are we continue to act as Publius with the, mm. uh, the transparent intention to one day, uh, retire Publius whenever Beanstalk is at a place where it really doesn't need, uh, a- a- any additional guidance in our opinion.
2: Sure.
0: No, what's, what's interesting was, um, we did a, a video on stable coins and, uh, we were talking about specifically about tornado cash and we've been, uh, watching some of your podcasts have you done in the past before with, uh, other podcasters and, we, we got to say, we looked at your white paper and we we're really impressed, right? Uh, the structure of how you guys designed your decentralized stable coin was very interesting and, and very different than probably anything that we've ever seen, right?
2: Yeah, I guess, can we briefly go over that just for anybody who doesn't understand? Because yeah. everybody knows about stable coins now because I guess the, the great Terra Luna thing was a big uh, public... Uh, you know, exposure, I guess, to what it is these stable coins are. And there's different, I guess, uh, different models that are being leveraged. And I think yours is the first attempt. Is it not of like a credit-based system, a little bit more uh, algorithmically backed, not so much collaterally, uh, you know, collateral isn't the main mechanism as far as like ensuring the stability, right? right? So can you go into a little bit more detail just for people who don't understand, like what it is that makes these Cryptocurrency stable and pegged to the value value of a dollar, how does that work?
1: So, uh, Beanstalk can't take the credit of being the first uh, credit-backed stablecoin okay. uh, attempt, but it 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 is potentially uh, the first credit-backed stablecoin that uh, has worked for any non-zero period of time, <sighs> if that makes sense. Or, or any any not insignificant period mm. of time. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Beanstalk, uh, w- was deployed a little over a year ago. It was obviously off for uh, like four months, but Beanstalk has at this point been on for on for over nine months collectively, maybe almost mm. ten months. I don't know exactly at this point. Uh, whereas previous attempts at uh, credit-based stablecoin protocols lasted uh days or, or weeks mm. uh prior 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 attempts so in the white paper uh which we appreciate your kind words uh the the only stablecoin protocol that is referenced is empty set dollar mm. uh, and it's cited in the previous work section and empty set dollar was an attempt at a <laughs> uh a a credit-based stablecoin, but there were a number of problems with uh, ESD—that's the uh, the ticker for Empty Set Dollar. Uh, there were a number of problems with ESD's model, both on what in Beanstock is the silo uh, and the field. So both on the depositor side and the Dow, and on the lender side, the the credit side. So mm-hmm. there were a number of problems that Beanstalk, uh ha- has made significant improvements on, but it wasn't the first credit uh, attempt. So we we can't take any credit on that front, but uh, Beanstalk certainly uh, at this point is the longest running uh, credit-based stablecoin implementation. Yeah,
0: and that's saying a lot. I mean, I remember in our previous video, Iban, we were talking about how in Tornado Cash, um, USDC and Tether were being sanctioned, um, or, or not sanctioned, but um, censored, and um, and and so we were talking. If you remember, how it's like if if USDC, if we can't really trust USDC to be an actual cryptocurrency where it's completely decentralized like where do you know where do we go to right is it die dies back by usdc and it's like we're kind of confused as to like where do we exit in a way where we're not exposed to like the censorship and so we we ended up being um like do we go back to fiat and so we published that video and uh someone in your community commented on on one of our twitter uh, about the video itself mm-hmm. it was like hey you guys need to you know meet the guys from Beanstalk. Mm. And so that's how we got connected. I don't know if you you got that story from our connection there, but that's how it... That makes
2: a lot of sense because I was going to ask what the main motivation, I guess, to making as much of a decentralized product as possible. Uh, You know, obviously, that's that's the ethos of Web3 overall. But I guess in the stablecoin sector, like what are the potential ramifications if we can't figure out like a way where DeFi can create these stable products, like independent of what you're talking about, like some sort of centralized... Action or actors within the ecosystem, right? Because right. as we've seen, that can definitely backfire. It has a lot of downside risks. And we might now be able to build like a decentralized financial system without this. So, is that your main motivation behind well, this? Or what are your thoughts, I guess, expanding on that?
1: So, the short answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a business building on top of or that wants to build on top of a decentralized, financial stack where there's no points of censorship or potential censorship or centralization in your entire financial stack, not just your tech stack, but your your monetary stack that mm-hmm. you're interacting with and trading with other businesses. Uh, if if you have any point in that stack where there's censorship potential or centralization uh, that leads to sen- the potential for censorship, uh It's kind of a least common denominator problem. And uh, the result right now, the situation in DeFi uh, is that you have lots of different derivatives and primitives, money markets, CDPs, uh, DEXs. You have a lot of core tools that businesses would need, the ability to borrow uh, uh, and lend, uh, the ability to buy and sell uh, fungible and non-fungible goods. Uh, there's there's a lot that you can already do from a financial perspective uh, in theory, but in practice, nobody's doing it. Mm. And the question is why? Well, why isn't anyone using any of this tech for real? And w- when we say anyone, there's obviously speculation and activity on chain, but there are no businesses actually saying we're building on a decentralized tech stack and a financial stack because it makes sense for us to financially. Right. And in a capitalist system, the, the competitive advantages between businesses are really what makes the difference. And so the question is well, why, why is it that businesses building on decentralized primitives can't compete with businesses on centralized ones? Uh, our thesis uh, was at the time we started working on Beanstalk and remains that the high carrying costs on stable coins makes it impossible for businesses building on decentralized primitives to compete with those building on on centralized ones and in particular the high carrying costs on stable coins comes from the opportunity cost associated with collateral requirements mm-hmm. so if you need to lock up all this collateral there's some opportunity cost associated with it so the people that are minting it now want to lend it out for some minimum rate where for them it's relatively risk free particularly if they're doing it on something like ave uh, where there's minimal risk for the lenders and they they then collect some sort of uh, some carry on this this collateral that they have but as a as a business that just wants to use the collateral uh, or, or excuse me use the stable coin it's very expensive because the people that are creating the stable coins that have the collateral, they need some sort of minimum uh, rate of return uh, as a result of the opportunity cost. And in short, the high carrying costs on uh, on on-chain stablecoins, independent of we haven't even spoken about uh, centralized liquidity versus decentralized liquidity, right? If you say, well, we're only going to use decentralized liquidity like liquidity has, now you have an even uh, tighter uh, uh, squeezed on co- available collateral because there's very little on-chain decentralized collateral. So you either have to have somewhat centralized collateral where you have a custodian for off-chain value, or if you're limited to on-chain value, there's very little collateral. So if the 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 again, if the goal is to facilitate the adoption of decentralized financial a uh, financial tech stack, the problem seems to be collateral requirements and businesses. Businesses clearly don't want something that's as volatile as Bitcoin or Ethereum, right. mm-hmm. particularly to denominate obligations, right? Mm-hmm. It's very hard to make long term investments and loans uh, and borrow money denominated in something that's going to go up and down significantly yep. over time. So there's value in stability, mm-hmm. there's demand for stability. So once you have demand for stability, now it's a question of carrying costs. And if your stable coins on chain, have orders of magnitude higher carrying costs than dollars off-chain uh businesses building on-chain are just not going to be able to compete. Right. That's the core thesis. And again, it's because of collateral issues. So the the thought is that the, there is a real a real need for a non-collateralized stablecoin implementation. Yeah. And what that exactly looks like it remains I think an open question from the markets' perspective, but Beanstalk is an attempt at implementing a non-collateralized stablecoin uh, through uh, the creation of credit, and in particular through the through the creation of uh, Beanstock's credit. So, what does that mean? So, uh, if you have a non-collateralized stablecoin. There's an easy problem or an easier problem and a harder problem. <laughs> the easier problem is what to do when the price is too high. Yeah. The protocol can always mint new stable coins, So you increase the supply. At some point, you expect the price to come down. That's a little easier. The harder thing is what, what to do when the price is too low, when there's an excess of supply. So uh, when, when we say that Beanstalk is a credit-based stablecoin protocol, what that means is anytime the price is too low – Beanstock tries to borrow from the open market, in particular, borrow beans and issue debt. And so, as long as the market views beanstock as credit worthy, as long as the market continues to lend to beanstock, over time, beanstock should be able to return the bean price to whatever it's pegged to. Now, beanstock doesn't make any guarantees about the short term uh, price of a bean, the beanstock stablecoin. There's no convertibility. For example, that's one of the major differences between a system like Terra and a system like Beanstalk. There's no hard pay. There's no Beanstalk oscillates the price above and below a dollar. And if the market if there are market participants that want to sell at 50 cents, there's nothing Beanstalk can do to stop it. And it recognizes that. And similarly, if people want to buy at two dollars, as has happened, both both situations have happened. People have sold beans at 50 cents and bought beans at two dollars. Uh, not the most rational behavior per se, uh, right. to to interact with a stablecoin protocol. Uh, not not to give financial advice, but selling at fifty cents. But particularly if you look at at the wallet history, a lot of the people that sold the fifty cents also bought at two dollars. So buy two dollars, sell at fifty <laughs> cents. Not the best trade. Uh, but but the concept is, Beanstalk can't make any sort of. Uh, hard guarantees about the short-term value or even the long-term value of a bean. All it can try to do is oscillate the bean price above and below a dollar, which is currently the peg of a bean. And the more that it oscillates the bean price above and below a dollar, the more that market participants uh, are expected to start to trade the price closer to a dollar, right? So originally, if, and, and this is actually what seems to have been uh played out so far in stocks relatively brief history whereas where where early on uh there was a lot of volatility the price went as high as four dollars as mm-hmm. low as 24 cents mm-hmm. uh it took a a month plus for the price to really return back to a dollar uh in earnest and start to oscillate above and below peg again but, but once it did people started to trade it a little bit closer to the peg so the next time it went through a big growth cycle uh, it only went up to a dollar and fifty cents. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it wasn't four dollars. And it only went as low as seventy-five cents. I don't remember exactly either. But uh, the point is, it was much less volatility because people have seen well uh, last time. That's what happened. So now there's some sort of condensation because hmm. the protocol has, has uh, 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 oscillated the price a little bit. And then the next growth cycle, it was even tighter. Now, to some extent, that was also due to Uh, Improvements that the Dow was able to make to the protocol that greatly improved the capital efficiency of uh, the entire system, we would say, uh, such that in all situations, there was a much more earnest discovery of supply and demand for beans. And that obviously creates a much uh, more efficient market in the grand scheme of things, which uh, has led to less underlying price volatility. Mm -hmm. But uh, the bigger point is that if you take a, a little bit of a step back, the only thing that Beanstalk really does is two things. One, it tries to oscillate the price above and below its peg. And two, going back to the question around credit, uh, it it tries to keep its debt level at uh, uh, what it what is called an optimal debt level, but can be thought of as some sort of sustainable debt level. Mm. Because if we go back to, the only, th- the, the only way that the bean price is stable in the grand scheme of things, from a theory perspective, even if there are lots of reasons why short-term the price is stable, is the credit of the protocol. Uh, the, the debt level of the protocol is really another main thing that bean needs to keep track of if it's going to be uh, healthy in the long term. And so it doesn't just optimize around price, it also optimizes around debt level mm. and if we look back at Beanstalk's history a little bit, uh, prior to the the growth cycle in March and April, prior to the exploit, where Beanstalk grew from something like 30 million, uh, maybe 20, 20-something million beans to over 100 million beans at the time that it was exploited, uh, the the entire system basically started to deleverage for the first time. Mm. And that was a major proof of concept because the, the pod rate, the debt level of the system or what the system uses as a proxy for its debt level, uh, had increased to, to like I don't remember what the high was, but it was multiples of the current supply of beans.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, something like 10X or more of the supply of beans. So the protocol was maybe it was 15X. I think the peak was almost 16X. So for every bean the protocol had issued, there was like 16 pods of outstanding debt. So Beanstalk had a, an immense amount of debt. And a lot of that was due to the fact that the original parameters and even updated parameters to Beanstalk until... January, let's call it, so the first five months, the debt issuance was uh, imperfect to a point where the protocol just had a continuously increasing debt level until yeah. around January. So in January, the debt level flattened out for the first time. And then in, in February or March, it started to decrease. And and while we can never know what actually led to the, the growth cycle, uh, it did seem like Uh, based on listening to the market activity and the discord and Mm -hmm. Twitter and stuff, the, the, the beginning of the deleveraging, the very first deleveraging of credit based money or a fiat style money uh, on chain, that was very much viewed as uh, somewhat of a proof of concept of being stocked by the market. And that did lead to a lot more capital coming in and uh, the growth cycle that was cut short by the, the exploit. So Mm -hmm. that was, that was prior to the exploit. And then, I know I've been talking for a while, but to go back to the the core point that as long as Beanstalk is viewed as credit worthy, it yeah. should be able to maintain the bean price at its peg. Uh, Beanstock, even though it was off for down for maintenance by the Dow, if you will, uh, for for uh, almost four months as a result of the exploit, uh, when Beanstock was replanted on August sixth by the Dow of 2022. So this year. Uh, it, prior prior to the exploit it was able to borrow something like 15 million dollars uh from the market mm-hmm. which i think was more than it had ever borrowed historically or close to it in terms of actual dollar value uh in its first 8 months on chain it was able to borrow uh, while it was off uh 15 million dollars and since then a couple more million dollars mm-hmm. to recapitalize uh the protocol and 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 when it was replanted and since then the price has more or less been at a dollar there's been some oscillations as would be expected but generally the price has been at at its peg and therefore the fact that people were willing to lend to the protocol meant beanstalk was able to revive itself mm-hmm. uh, or be revived by the dow uh merely exclusively because it was credit worthy because mm. people were willing to lend to the protocols so mm-hmm. uh i know that was a long answer but hopefully it's uh illustrative of how a credit-based uh, money is potentially different.
0: Yeah. You know, what, what's interesting about your description of Beanstalk is um, there we read one of your blog posts. I don't know if you wrote it or not, but there was a philosophical question on their parallels between credit worthiness and the fiat currency system. Um, so my question to you is how, if a lot of things in in, I guess in reality are not sustainable, right? And so I think in the blog posts, you were, you were questioning on, you know, what, what is the metric of success for any, any currency? And in, in the blog post is like, you know, how long can a currency be sustainable to be, to be attributed to actually success? Right. And so we have our current fiat monetary system where typically about every hundred years, there's a new world reserve currency. And so we're at the end of it for, for the dollar. And so, you know, what are, what are the parallels between like a credit worthiness, you know, type of currency like bean and what are the parallels between that <clears throat> and like a traditional fiat system?
2: And, uh, <clears throat> and I guess just to kind of like layer something on top of that, like what, what other factors have you considered out, independent of just credit worthiness that maybe necessities as far as like uh, i guess inspiring confidence is for participants within right. your ecosystems to main sh- just make sure like because it's definitely like a, a long-standing balancing act that requires you know a lot of contribution right mm-hmm. so independent of like the native utility of you know wanting to create that stable peg for like you know tertiary ecosystems to emerge to leverage that like what else outside of credit worthiness that you you can establish and prove over time, you know, have you thought of other things that could also inject that, that confidence to your participants as well?
0: Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. So a couple questions there. The yeah. first is, <laughs> you know, if, if, if we look at, if we look at the past 500 years or so, and as you said, uh, each of the, the dominant money uh, over the past 500 years has lasted around 75 to 100 years or so. Right. And the past 100 years has been dominated by fiat money uh, for, for the first time, really. Uh, there have been attempts at fiat money historically, but this is really the first time that the market has uh, adopted at, at, at scale, uh, at a global scale, uh, a credit-based money or at least that we know if we could uh, that could be incorrect uh but uh prior to prior to the trans there were there were short short-term uh issuances of fiat money during wartime for example <laughs> uh but there was there was never a a permanent shift to fiat money until the past hundred years right mm-hmm. and i i think without a doubt, the past 100 years have been some of the most productive yep. uh in history yeah and i think a lot of that is is people can obviously debate this but is due to the coordination that was facilitated by uh being on the same currency everyone's on the same currency that kind of extends to the past 500 years mm-hmm. but when we talk about what's been special about the past hundred years and fiat money the world running on fiat money it seems like uh there's obviously some problems that come with being on fiat money in terms of credit crunches and uh short-term uh problems but to, if anything there there's the difference between having like a sovereign credit crunch uh and having a non-sovereign credit crunch where you'd have a bank uh, a, a bank that has some sort of gold-issued money uh, or a fractional reserve-issued money go bankrupt and all of the the depositors in that bank lose all of their money, there was always a significant amount of cost associated with uh, those losses or people going bankrupt. And so one of the main advantages of a fiat money is you can have a a, a, a zero collateralized system, right? A fractional reserve right. system exactly. gets you down to close to zero, but this now gets you down to actually zero. So there's in theory an infinite money supply, but where it really comes is in the ability to take risk, right, where uh, there's there's an ability to create new money uh, instead of having lenders or savers uh, fully, fully go bankrupt and a full reset. There's clearly been some additional value. The market has placed additional value in having a currency with an infinite supply. And I think that's played out in two different ways. One is in the competitive carrying costs, where the interest rates on, on fiat money has historically been lower or more competitive, than, therefore more competitive, than the interest rates on uh, fractional reserve money, even or hard money, certainly, but fractional reserve implementations of hard money uh, because of the collateral requirements. And in particular, in practice, you have the ability for... In the u.s system at least the fed to buy treasuries and through buying treasuries they're able to uh manipulate uh interest rates Mm or i don't know if manipulate is the right word uh, necessarily but they're certainly they're certainly able to affect interest rates in a way where the interest rates on the fiat money are more competitive than the interest rates on the hard money or the fractional implementations of hard money so that's the first place where it plays out right Mm. you have more competitive carrying costs uh, now the second place is you've got this ability when you have lenders go bankrupt or potentially bad debt taken on, instead of liquidating large swaths of savers, uh, the ability to just mint new money uh allows for more risk taking on uh various ends of the spectrum. Uh, but uh in theory, less of a downside when there's a when there's uh poor investments made. Mm-hmm. Now the problem, obviously, and it's a big problem is when the capital, uh, the seniorage that is being used to affect the interest rates and being used to facilitate more risky lending uh, such that people can do uh, more things and more people have access to credit. Uh, the problem there is when that seniorage is distributed in a way that's highly disproportionate. And so in, in practice, what what Beanstalk is, is a an implementation of, uh, credit-based or fiat money, depending on how you want to think about it, with a totally transparent uh, and and as fairly mm-hmm. designed as, as possible mm-hmm. uh, issue and schedule of the seniorage. Mm-hmm. And so in theory, you get all of the, the former benefits mm-hmm. uh, where you have the, the competitive carrying costs. You get all of the latter benefits where uh, this hasn't uh, been built yet per se, but uh, lending markets and debt markets built on top of Beanstock, there's a way for the system to make up the bad debt without liquidating all of the savers per se, and and this is the this is where beanstalk is potentially competitive, or beans are potentially competitive as a currency in general, uh, is that the seniorage is distributed entirely transparently, so businesses that are participating in the Beanstock ecosystem are not looking for handouts or don't need to uh uh there's no corruption around accessing the seniorage whatsoever it's all done transparently and algorithmically and therefore you get all the benefits and less of the problems associated with current implementations of fiat money and that's that's what 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 we uh we hope beanstalk uh is and can become Hmm.
0: You know, one of of the interesting things about this conversation, um, so I I think this is a good time to kind of give you um, our background. And uh, so we we started this podcast in 2019 in the the heat of the bear. And within this podcast, we ended up interviewing someone in the metaverse industry. And uh, we uh, eventually got into the metaverse as a business. So we have another business called MetaZone that's focused on deployable applications as NFTs. And, and within that construction, we were building our own content for, for deploying in the metaverse, our own uh, play to earn game. So quickly, we realized that one of the things that we need to do is come up with a sustainable ecosystem. And if you watch our podcast, we're continuously talking about sustainability. And one of the things that we're struggling with is um, I- identifying sustainable anything, right? So if you look at look at just our our life ecosystem right the sun is continuously expanding eventually it will engulf earth and like kill all of life on earth right that's why elon is pushing for 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 you know people going onto different planets right because eventually we are going to perish if we stay on earth right so so when we're thinking about sustainability we're trying to come up with examples of what is sustainable then we look at fiat currency it's kind of sort of designed to, to fail, kind of like what you were talking about where you can continuously, it's like infinite money, right? Once you have infinite money, then eventually you won't be, you won't have enough money to pay back the debt and then therefore the dollar is worthless. So what's interesting about what you're talking about is there in, in, in the play to earn ecosystem, w- w- there has to be some sort of stable asset in order to distribute within this ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Without that stable asset, you are hinging upon, your, 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 your I guess your, the life of the ecosystem is depending on the value maintaining by itself. Mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of the times when you have a play to earn ecosystem, it's it's sort of deemed as sort of like a Ponzi scheme. You have to get new people coming in, the price keeps going up, it brings in more people, and then all of a sudden it just doesn't go up anymore. And then your the ecosystem value goes down. Mm and so one of the things that i believe is going to be kind of necessary or important is the DeFi ecosystem kind of merging with like the metaverse and like plater and like everything that's happening that the like the digital nation spawning they're gonna have to like play with each other so i wonder i wonder if you if you believe like first what what are your what do you understand about the metaverse um just to kind of kick off this part of the conversation And like, do you see like the Metaverse as, as an important part of the DeFi space? Like in DeFi, do you guys consider NFTs and Metaverse, like all that stuff in when you're designing some of these products?
1: So at this point, we Publius are just a small part of Beanstalk and the Beanstalk ecosystem. So uh, there are, there is a significant interest in the metaverse in general uh in the beanstalk community and i think a general recognition that if beanstalk is to become internet money
0: yes. uh, yeah.
1: widely adopted internet money right that it's obviously going to be used in the metaverse and i think there's a great tweet i don't remember it's from a long time ago but someone saying that uh beanstalk is uh gonna be like the the world's uh largest multiplayer uh like p2p game Mm -hmm. uh ever and the real concept is like that if you if you have an existence in the metaverse uh whatever currency you're using is just going to be the internet currency right there's there's a competition to be the internet currency but whatever currency that is is the currency the metaverse is going to use right and if we go back to what we were talking about before about how uh there's there's been a dominant currency that runs for a hundred years uh approximately each uh the the hope is that you know at least bean beanstalk can run for at least a hundred yeah. years yeah. Uh, as the dominant metaverse currency before it's overtaken uh or maybe a fork of Beanstalk overtakes it right mm-hmm. there's no way to know but the concept is uh perhaps Beanstalk is just the step in the right direction to create that best money. But uh, what, what do we think about the metaverse? We love the metaverse. Uh, you know, we're, we're excited about, we we like the physical world just, just yeah. a <laughs> lot as well. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Uh, but, but we're, we're excited at the potential for, for a lot of this and how it can bring new experiences to a lot of people for a lot cheaper. That's obviously valuable. So so let me add educational perspective. And
0: yeah, let me add, um, sort of like when, when someone asks, you know, you know, why, why the metaverse, why is it going to be important? I think we have sort of like a little bit of a unique view of it where the metaverse is not necessarily for like the people who are like, you know, well off, they're not going to spend, they're going to look for entertaining experiences in the metaverse. but, But I think the real value of the metaverse is simply creating a digital ecosystem where anyone with internet access can participate. So imagine where people all over the world who have access to the internet that have essentially been disenfranchised just because of their local ecosystem, they can now participate in a digital nation where an activity can actually, earn them an income that pays for their physical existence. Mm -hmm. And so now we're talking about potentially onboarding two billion people who don't have an opportunity locally, but will now have an opportunity in the metaverse to provide whatever it is that we can come up with, whether it's like the low hanging fruit of play to earn to more complex activities like DeFi in the metaverse.
2: Yeah, that's why I think the DeFi community, it's it will leverage the metaverse in that respect because it is, it's an experimental playground for these d- new economic models that right. I think have direct applicability because be, the, the metaverse will facilitate a lot of new value creation. Right? Yes. So we have to extrapolate how to leverage that. How do we, how do we create st- stable ecosystems on top of that? Right? This is where DeFi has to come in and kind of like show us the way, yeah. right? The, yeah. the, the bean yeah. stock method, is, I think is a very good implementation of that. Like we're clearly the metaverse has the potential to onboard tons of user activity. Right. And from that we could spawn new methods of value creation, but like what, what is the ultimate end purpose of that? The ultimate end utility of all that activity and galvanization of of human value. Well, it's to to create new money potentially, like in the virtual sense, you know, like these, these new forms of monetary systems can again, Lift up a whole segment of pop of humanity that doesn't have yeah that opportunity. That's right. That's kind of how we view the metaverse right now, and we've been kind of like waiting for the DeFi yeah. like you know community kind of like come in and test these these theories out you know and experiment. But there's also a lot of primitives that have yet to been established for the metaverse itself. Right? Yeah, like it's it's very. And one of the primitives, yeah.
0: one of the primitives would be something like Beanstock, where yeah. whenever you create a play to earn game, you, you can't have a sustainable ecosystem where the token is completely fluctuating constantly. Mm-hmm. And so there needs to be a, a, a pair of, you have the cryptocurrency of the actual project, Mm -hmm. but then it's paired somehow and stabilized through these protocols. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so then, then you could create something with reasonable sustainability Mm -hmm. and we're talking sustainability, like more than like five years, something where the lifespan of a game is about five years. I mean, if you could create sustainability at that point, I mean, you you have a good ecosystem. Yeah.
2: So yeah, that's definitely always been our focus for sustainability, but I guess, uh, yeah, now that we're all in metaverse, uh, (laughs) For now, I guess uh, you already asked the question of uh, I guess you guys already have a good interpretation of what the metaverse is, and you see value in it, right? But I guess uh, do you think uh, you agree? I guess with what it is we just kind of painted, like the DeFi integration into the metaverse is is going to be as important as we think it is or can be. Like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: They're certainly going to be complementary. Uh, when when we think about when we think about the right way to build this technology,
2: mm-hmm.
1: particularly, and we agree with you on in terms of who's going to be benefiting the most from this technology. It's currently the people that uh, either at the margin just have access to an internet account but don't have access to uh, banks or more sophisticated technology, uh, or even people that currently don't have internet but are are getting there uh that's where all of this is going to make the the biggest difference uh we all of beanstalk is designed uh to be as frictionless as possible in particular zero fee so uh one of the next projects that the dow is working on is the implementation of a beanstalk native uh amm or dex uh which will be uh totally permissionless obviously but it's uh it's got zero fees. So there's no trading fees whatsoever. And it's so funny the way things work. If you look at the, the, the code of, uh, current, uh, AMMs, a lot of the the gas costs of trading in the AMMs actually is from the distribution <laughs> of the the trading fees. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, these, 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 these protocols are charging their users to charge their users uh it's it 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 just sucks all around so uh, the concept is if you have open source technology uh something that goes hand in hand with that is that you shouldn't shouldn't really be a rent seeking open source technology Mm. so there's obviously network effects that exist uh but the goal is not to create at least from our perspective the goal is not to create uh, open source technologies with no fees that are still rent seeking the goal is to create non-rent seeking, totally neutral, uh, technologies that then can be used by, by, by everybody.
0: Yeah. And in addition to that, I mean, yeah, I I was just going to add that, uh, in addition, I feel like, you know, a lot of the stuff, I I don't know how, how it is like in, in IRL for you when you're talking to your family about what you're doing, I'm pretty sure they have no idea what you're talking about. Would that be
1: correct? Well, it depends which uh, member of the family, but generally it's not not an unfair characterization. Right, right.
0: <laughs> um, and so it's the same with us. When we're talking about the metaverse, we're, we're kind of looked at as kind of crazy, right? It was like, who's going to spend a lot of time here and all that stuff? So uh, I'm, I'm sure it's like, you know, when you're talking to your family about this stuff, you know, it being confusing, but it's equally, you know, when things are this, this kind of confusing, it's like, it's an indicator of you know, potential importance because all the stuff that you're saying, like it has huge implications for like the sustainability of like internet ecosystems, right? Because it's, it's like, you're saying it's permissionless. There's zero fees, right? Is that right? Like zero fees. There's no, there's no cost. So what, what motivates
1: There's gas fees, but that's, that's like a security cost imposed by the network. That's correct. A fee imposed by Beanstalk, the protocol. So yeah. But yes go ahead
0: sure so um so all these like um abilities that you guys have to create these um i guess attempts for sustainability like how do we how do we start thinking about ways of leveraging these protocols in in sort of like micro ecosystems and is there even a way is like can, can we have micro ecosystems that are sustainable or are we talking about like what Iman usually talks about is like you have to add complexity because Cause you're adding, um, like part of the stuff that you said that you haven't built yet are, are lending protocols. Is that correct? Like additional complexity that allows for, um, not such a simple entry and exit from an ecosystem. Right. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so yeah, talk there, about the complexity. There's so, there's so much beauty in composability. And that's one of the things that from our perspective really differentiates This technology from any that has existed prior to it, and so when you ask about the existence of micro communities, you said yes. uh, That is, you can't have small communities that are secure without secure money. There's no money is used to coordinate behavior, and if you have a volatile money, it's very hard to. Have a, a secure small yes. community. It's a little bit easier with a volatile money if you have uh, a small a small community than if you have a bigger community, right? Har- harder to maintain a bigger community with volatility. But even right. at a small level, volatility is hard. So if you if you kind of humor us and assume that there's stable money, be it beans or or something else, uh, if there's stable permissionless money. Uh, there are probably a lot of other problems associated with creating sustainable micro communities. From my perspective, the first would be security. Maybe it's a micro community within a, within a nation state and you're, you're, you're paying for security through a nation state. Uh, but beyond that, uh, it, it's hard to, it's hard to think about what else you need, other than let's 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 break it down you need your base money but what we were talking about earlier is a financial stack what does that really mean well it's the ability to trade it's the ability to uh, borrow and lend it's the ability to take out leverage and it's potentially other things uh, but those are those are sort of the core primitives that currently exist within defi mm-hmm. and so what the dow is currently spending a lot of time working on is the implementation of EVM compatible, zero fee implementations of Beanstalk uh, compatible or Beanstalk native uh, implementations of each of those things. Mm. So uh, perhaps over the next couple of months, there will be lots of work uh, to show, uh, to, to speak about this uh, more specifically. But the general concept is once you have money, Uh, what what you wanna be able to do with that money is pretty obvious, right? It's those couple of things that we named at least to start. And then there will be other other needs that present themselves. But those are the first things where if I'm a business at the very least, I need the ability to borrow and lend. I need the ability to buy and sell. uh, And when needed, I need the ability to take on leverage long or short to be able to hedge certain exposures. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty good base stack in order to get going. And from that perspective, there's a lot of work being done on, uh, as we said, a a zero fee permissionless DEX. Uh, Over time, the hope is to extend that not just to a base AMM model, but a more generalized model to support different asset types. Uh, More details will hopefully be forthcoming on that in the near future, uh, as well as what is currently understood to be hmm. CDPs, where you're taking collateral and mm-hmm. minting yeah. synthetic exposure against that, uh, and then something like a, a a traditional money market. So something probably a Rari uh, a Rari fork to start, uh, or or you know the the cool nature of open source technology is that everything being implemented starts as a fork of something else and yeah. then gets mm-hmm. changed heavily. Yeah. So. Uh, in terms of the exchange, uh Seaport is great. So uh, there's been a lot of reference of Seaport in terms of, uh, you know, uh, th- there's endless stuff to, to, to reference and to learn from uh in terms of how to implement things. And that's really one of the cool parts about open source technology. So the the hope is to have the Beanstalk DAO. And also at this point, it's not just the DAO, it's there are private companies that have raised money to build on beanstalk or at least one private company we should say that has raised money to uh, build on beanstalk and that's they're awesome. now uh submitting uh they're now submitting uh prs and, and beanstalk improvement proposals to the dow so that's awesome it's, uh it, the, the what will be built on beanstalk in in the coming years god willing <laughs> uh, we can only imagine uh but where, yeah where at least we understand the Dow is starting. And where we're thinking about stuff is those base uh, things that you need uh, to create a sort of base financial stack, as well as trying to put the, I don't know if you can say finishing touches on (coughs) stock, that might not be the right way to think about it, but the base layer uh, is certainly getting to the point where there are only really marginal improvements that, that, that have seemed to be possible. It's hard to imagine Uh, whereas if you look at, at Beanstalk a year ago and Beanstalk today, you'd say, this is orders of magnitude better than this. Maybe there are ways to get orders of magnitude better, but the effect they'll have on peg maintenance is probably (laughs) orders of magnitude less because the systems is getting to a point where it's, it's pretty sustainable, uh, in its current form. So that doesn't mean that it's going to be long-term sustainable or that it's going to be perpetually sustainable but it does seem like uh the base model is is getting there so now one of the main questions is how to re-implement on-chain governance Mm -hmm. uh that's a question that was not answered sufficiently well previously and is something that clearly does need to be answered sufficiently well uh going forward so uh that's that's a major open item for the dow and there's lots go ahead
0: yeah no i was just gonna add uh so uh by happenstance, I was going to ask, how do you have on-chain governance? Because, um, I I know you've had a couple of podcasts explaining the, the compromise on April. And, uh, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but ultimately the outcome was that, uh, you made an update to the protocol where you needed five of nine, um, a multi-sig right in order to enact a, a governance acceptance. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, the DAO decided to implement off-chain governance, whereby voting now takes place instead of on-chain on snapshot. Okay. And then it requires a multi-sig to implement the changes that were voted on by the DAO. Whereas before, it was on-chain voting and then sure. permissionless implementation of the changes.
0: Okay, so my question on. is, It do you have a thesis for decentralizing this aspect, protecting um, let, let's say like a flash loan attack right through multi-sig what 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 are the options what what's the thesis out there in 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 terms of protecting from a flash loan and having decentralized governance actually be a functional thing with protection
1: well the on-chain governance's previous implementation was not flash loan resistant obviously uh, which led to the exploit right uh on the one hand it would be easy to just slap on flash loan resistance and be like hopefully this is good enough now uh but think that the dow has uh quite prudently decided to move a little bit slower uh going forward and so right now it let's say there was a flash loan and uh someone proposed they, they did it in such a way where they had the votes the to pass the some sort of malicious proposal, mm-hmm. the multi-sig would, because it's permissioned, would just not correct approve that uh manipulated governance vote. Right. Now that's obviously imperfect from a permissionless or decentralization perspective, but it's safer. Sure. So if you're asking about the the thesis, the thesis is that it's got to be figured out. That's the mm-hmm. thesis. Okay. So in in the same Fair way enough. that the starting point for for deciding to work on Beanstalk was, well, the collateral problem has to be figured out one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, we have the hubris to think we can be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, the short answer is we're excited to work with the Dow over the next couple of months to think about different options and potential implementations and work with Halborn, the auditors that are currently auditing Beanstalk continuously. Uh, in order to, to hopefully ensure that the the implementation the DAO goes with is as safe as possible. But obviously, we're not in control of Beanstalk at this point. And if the DAO decides to implement non-safe governance, there's nothing we can do to stop it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, 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 because we want Beanstalk to succeed, we're going to try our best to be a part of implementing a safe and secure and sustainable a solution to on-chain governance but it's it's non-trivial it's a problem that people have written sure. extensively about and there don't seem to be very obvious solutions okay uh at the end of the day everything is is a spectrum and when you look at risk and return i think that the the thing you want to avoid is is the potential for risk events like the one that beanstalk experienced where you have a complete destruction in value whereas the protocol also need like so that's one thing that the protocol needs to be resistant to malicious changes where it's attacked or people are implementing bad changes but on the other hand if beanstalk has significant exposure to usdc let's call it and usdc is going to be is is hacked in some capacity or circle goes bankrupt sure there's a problem uh there needs to be some way for beanstalk to respond quickly in order to protect the system so there's a real balance there between moving quick and moving slow and that was ultimately something beanstalk didn't get right the first time but we're optimistic
0: Mm. that's interesting um we're it's funny, we, we just keep ta- thinking about like the sustainability of this stuff. And we always wonder, is like uh, building a decentralized protocol, kind of like Beanstalk is sort of like, and, and doing it completely decentralized and, and leaving off, um, you know, the decision making to a DAO. It, doesn't it feel like it's like building a plane while trying to make it fly at the same time? Or do you, do you think it's, it might be better to kind of build out the plane sort of like centralized and then eventually once the plane can fly, then you, you leave that off to the community to decide, you know, where it goes, how much, how much the plane tickets are and things like that. Like, do you really, is, is there, you got to
1: leave it up to the market to to decide how much the plane tickets are, but uh, (laughs) yeah, you make, you, you make a great point about how to develop Mm. and it is worth saying it is it's really important to say when we deployed beanstalk in August of 2021, we thought it was done.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like,
1: you know, we thought this is, this is it. And it's the, the Dow will take care of the rest. Now we quickly learned there were lots of improvements that could be made. And we've been uh, grateful to, to be able to work with the Dow. Maybe the better thing to say is just be a part of the Dow. Sure. Uh, as the Dow has been able to implement lots of improvements to in stock, but really you got to just do things the right way. I think it's really hard to start doing things the wrong way and then do things the right way. Later, you start doing things the right way, doing things the right way is really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that we're doing things the right way per se, we're trying our best, uh, but it, it's really hard it's really hard to start with something n- n- bad, or that everyone is like, "Ah, this will we'll fix this in the future," and just keep going. I think right now that's Beanstalk's governance, and to that point, how, you know, something like Beanstalk, there's a real Lindy effect of how long has it existed. I think that there's a a valid argument to be made. That the counter doesn't start again until there's on chain governance. Mm. That the real Lindy effect doesn't take place until we're back, the whole system is back to totally permissionless. Maybe you can say the peg maintenance models on display, the economics are on display. Sure. That's certainly true. But when we talk about the movement to a permissionless money, that hasn't happened yet, unfortunately. And that sucks. Mm. So, from our perspective, you gotta, you, we, we started with on-chain governance that actually didn't work out so good, but cost of, you know, it's, it's, it is the cost of doing business sure. in the wild West mm-hmm. and it is the cost of experimentation. I think that's one thing that that's been very good about being transparent yeah. about is yeah. this is an experiment yep. and you, you can't experiment behind a glass wall. Unfortunately, yeah. you can your eyes behind a glass wall but at the end of the day the only way to actually get that lindy effect get that security get that 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 real belief that this works is to be out in the wild and there have been dozens maybe dozens is an over-exaggeration but a lot of failed attempts at algo stables just from an economics perspective separate from governance none of them have even gotten to the point where governance mattered, right so this is a great this is a good problem to have from our perspective uh, but it's a problem, nonetheless, that needs to be addressed. So the DAO is working on it, and God willing, it'll happen in time. And, uh, you know, we're, we're glass half full type of people, so it'll be figured out at some point because it has to be.
0: Yeah, you're just like me, glass half full. Yeah, <clears throat>
2: but I think that transparency is, like, the most important thing. Yeah, you know, it That is. That's anything that can potentially go, I guess, be interpreted as, I don't know, any misstep in any, any – you know development pathway or projects growth cycles whatever as long as you may remain transparent and honest and open with yes. your community and the world you know having these types of conversations with outsiders and
0: yeah i, I got to commend you yeah, guys so a big I, deal i understand that you guys were anonymous until the compromise and then you guys uh, sort of uh um kind of you know kind of disclosed you know who you are and that you weren't a part of it and so i gotta commend you guys for for doing that that's uh that's a very good example of how to do things properly. So yep. no one's immune to getting compromised. So uh, I think you guys handle it uh, excellently. Yeah. Uh, I'm
2: like, I'm yeah, like half and it. half on the whole. Remember like, we, you know, I do like the, the, the idea of anonymous founders to, you know, decentralized sure. organizations or applications, or whatever. I, I think it, there, there's merit in that. And I it's, agree. T- I think it's, it's fine. But also I think, it can have the potential to produce, you know, or be co-opted, I guess, by, you know, bad actors. So sure. the fact that you're able to come out of that potential negative interpretation, and just, you know, basically verify to the world that, you know, we're not one of those. You know, I think that that's going to give your ecosystem that longevity that it needs. Credibility. Like the confidence, especially if, yeah, especially if an credit based, yeah, you know, <laughs> exactly. algo stable coin like that, that has to factor in, yeah. in my opinion. So. You know, this is one of those battles I think the Web3 space is going to deal with as far as like what, what is the actual ethos? is. Are we building totally distributed, you know, ecosystems? We all want just a bunch of Satoshis creating new innovative technolo- technological platforms. Yeah. We don't necessarily know like, who, you know, who are the actual founders to these things, but we appreciate the services and the, you know, yes the products that they created yeah. and the, the, the communities they galvanized around that, like is that what we want or is it more like a, some hybrid approach, you know, right, this is, right. you know, we'll, yeah. But these are things, like you said, we'll figure out along the way, just like the governance issues, everything, right. It's just, that's all part of the fun, right. Is figuring this stuff out like yeah. one step at a time.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so that's, that's about our time Publius. I appreciate you joining, um, you know, and talking to us about beanstalk and everything. Um, I, I guess I, I'm going to ask, is there any other last words, any, uh, potential releases that you want everybody to know about anything any last words before we uh head out here
1: uh no just want to say thank you guys for for having us and for taking an interest in bean stock uh we we don't really view our our role as as selling bean stock as much as just talking about in fact we don't want to sell it to anybody we want to just talk about it and explain how it works and let people know that it exists and that that it is potentially uh, an exciting part of the future of DeFi. So mm-hmm. from that perspective, uh, we're just grateful for you guys for sharing your platform with us. And uh, to your point about anonymity, uh, and, and yeah, it's hard to know what the right thing is, Yeah, uh, obviously push came to shove in our instance uh and you know it had to be done uh but we we really we continue to have these these interviews and uh, act as Publius uh because we really do view it as important to one day retire Publius uh and Publius needs to disappear at some point and it's going to be a lot harder to make that happen if uh if we are interacting uh in our current capacity individually right sure. as individuals so we continue yeah. to use the pseudonym because one day the hope is Puglis can 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 actually disappear so it's mm. still probably a little bit early for that Beanstalk is still
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, only a little over a year old but uh we remain uh ambitious in our in our goal to 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 be totally irrelevant to the success of Beanstalk mm. uh, in the not too distant future. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's yeah. Yeah, hey, appreciate your time, man. Um, let's Let's have another follow up call here pretty soon, um, especially on new releases and everything. Um, so uh, again, I really appreciate your time, and uh, let's follow up on on Discord.
1: Wonderful. Thank you guys for having me. All
0: right. Thank you guys for watching. That's been Publius from Beanstalk, uh, a completely decentralized stablecoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so make sure you follow us on Twitter at the TheBlockWinner, at MetaZone.io and Robi AI and we will catch you in the next video.